Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to season four of the Power of Privilege and Allyship podcast. My name is Funke Abimbola, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Austin Bronte Consultancy, a global consulting firm whose main goal is to improve leadership by leveraging the impact of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity across the business world. My son, Max Abimbola, is co-host of the podcast and a first-year computer science student at Newcastle University. Now, as we all know, our regular listeners will know that Max interviews with me as much as he can, but he can't join us today because I suspect he's still asleep. We're recording this on a Saturday morning, and I think like all good students, he's probably had a rather late night on a Friday. But I promise that Max will be back again very, very soon. Now, today, I'm really, really thrilled to be interviewing Alina Timofeva. Alina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me, even though it's a Saturday, but thank you for aligning to the opportunities. I know Saturday mornings aren't easy, are they, Alina, for, for interviews, but uh, thanks so much for making the time. And would you mind introducing yourself to our audience, Alina, and telling us all a little bit more about you, please? Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Alina Timofeva. I'm the first generation immigrant from Russia, and I have been working in UK for seven years. I moved up from graduate to associate partner over this period of time. And currently, I'm working in Oliver Wyman, which is a strategy consulting company as an associate partner in digital. So that's a really good, strong way to start. And I just love to delve a little deeper, Alina, because your story is truly a fascinating one. I mean, just describing a bit more about your childhood and the different steps that got you to your chosen career path and brought you to the UK. Yeah, sure. I guess I was born in Russia and I was raised up by my grandmother. My grandmother didn't particularly see you know, me doing business or me being a woman in technology. And she really just wanted me to have like a good husband. And in fact, I had a chat with her just like yesterday. And she was telling me that the purpose of a woman is to serve the husband and to serve the children. Uh, and I'm not dealing very good with that at the moment. Anyway, so I was living in quite a poor area of Russia in the 90s. It was quite bad in terms of the mafia specifically. And I guess my grandmother, she didn't really have education, but she wanted me, you know, to get married and be a good housewife. So I started studying English quite early when I was four. And the purpose again was for me when I'm a housewife to have something else additional to do for some money generation and be a tutor of English. You know, that went well. I guess I try to imitate very much how British people or American people speak so that my Russian accent goes away. And I guess at the moment I speak Russian with an English accent rather than English with a you know typical Russian accent, which you see in movies. I was growing up, I became quite good in maths and I went to a special math school, which had quite a lot of guys and not so many girls because maths wasn't a super popular topic. And my grandmother thought it's a great opportunity for me to get married. So when I went to the best university in Russia to study maths as a scientist, she felt that's a great opportunity for me to finally get married. And um, I didn't really get married. I was quite interested in more of the businessy elements. I, because of my background, I had to do like to work quite early. So I've done a, 
a number of jobs. It started by doing, I guess, manual labor of like working in McDonald's and then waitering, being a waitress. But then I was also doing tutoring to underprivileged children or, you know, somebody who was very keen in maths or English. I decided that I may want to go to UK or maybe US, but it's very difficult from the visa perspective. It's very difficult. I mean, for me, it was difficult because A, I didn't know anybody. B, I didn't really have any like relatives or connections. And C, I was a foreigner on a visa. And with a visa to get a job, the employee needs to prove that they couldn't find anybody in Europe and UK with my skill set. And I guess because I was applying for a you know graduate job, that was quite hard to get that. Yes. So, so much there about stereotypes, really. I mean, your, your grandmother, I have no doubt that you are the apple of her eye. You sound as if you're very, very close, Alina. I mean, you spoke to her very, very recently. I imagine you speak to her regularly. And this episode will be coming out right in the middle of Women's History Month. And the theme this year, as we both know, is breaking the bias. So I'm really hearing a lot there about the stereotypes and what was expected of you within that background and how you you fought so hard to try and break those stereotypes. Would that be right? I think I didn't necessarily think about it at stereotypes at the time because everybody, I mean, in my extended family and everybody who I've seen around, most of the women were not really working. I mean, they may be working, but not for the sake of the career, not for the sake of, you know, doing consulting on technology. So whatever I was seeing was not different from what I was experiencing. I guess the only difference for me is that I was brought up by my grandmother and not, I guess, by a parent. And my grandmother was from Soviet Union. She was, you know, maybe 55 when I was born. So there was like a huge age difference as well. So what happened next then? So back to your story, you were having these challenges because of immigration and so on. How did you finally manage then to make your way across and and land in the UK? I mean, I spent a very long time applying to different jobs. I applied to about 500 jobs. And those were not just technology. Those were pretty much every single job that could give me the work permit. There is a certain list of, I guess, approved jobs or approved companies that can give you the work permit. And it's not always super clear because sometimes they say just apply And then when you get an offer, we'll see if we have, you know, a foreigner or we have somebody from UK. And sometimes there were kind of larger companies like Accenture, where I did get the offer, who are perhaps more likely to give you the work permit. So I used to fly from Russia to UK, and that was quite time consuming, quite expensive, because again, companies don't pay you to fly necessarily. They pay you as if you are applying from UK. So they pay a certain sum of money, like £100, £150. But, you know, coming from Russia to UK is a bit more challenging. I also got myself like a tourist visa so that I can just come around uh, for an interview. And I was getting, to be honest, I was getting a lot of interviews, but I wasn't passing them. Uh, And I got 497 declines. I got three offers in the end from like the big companies 
I was quite happy with myself, but it took me a long time. It's just extraordinary. When I often ask our guests about challenges, I mean, just trying to imagine, Alina, what that must have been like at the time and, you know, what what kept you going? Because if you're having to pay for flights and you still don't know then how it's going to happen for you with the the job offers, how the interview is going to go, what was it that drove you, Alina, would you say, to keep going and to not give up? So I think there were a couple of things. Number one is that many of the people around me told me that it's impossible because I don't know anybody and, you know, I don't necessarily belong in UK and I'm like perhaps an immigrant, like a tier two immigrant who needs somebody like me. So that was number one. And number two, I did used to work in a big four in uh, Russia and they pay significantly less than they do in the UK. And basically, one of the experiences was they sent me to audit McDonald's, the same McDonald's I used to work with before when I used to wash floors at McDonald's. And it was really bad environment because it was like minus 38 to minus 40. And I had to kind of go from my flat to the tube, to the bus, and then walk, and then walk, and walk, and walk. And they didn't pay for like any taxis or, you know, late night taxis. And I worked quite extensively over weekends. And then I think I kind of came to the conclusion that I can't do this anymore. And next time I flew to UK, I actually did manage to get my three offers and I moved on. That's absolutely wonderful to hear. My goodness. What an extraordinary story, you know, so challenges there around immigration, the, the having to pay for your own flights, really driving you then forward, seeing that, you know, I really do want to get a much better future for myself. And, and importantly, I imagine that you thought, well, I actually deserve it as well, right? Like I've got the capability, I do have the skill set, and this is something I can do. I think I had a lot of uncertainty in my mind because I was failing quite substantially and I didn't know, you know, am I failing because I'm not good enough or am I failing because, you know, I'll never succeed or should I fail, 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 and then something will come out of it. So I wasn't myself, you know, sure how much effort is going to take. And probably if I knew it from the very start, I would have been more afraid and perhaps just not gone for it at all. Yes, yes. And talking about that whole theme of failure, of course, you know, I've watched your very recent, hugely successful TEDx on that very topic. And would you like to share a bit more about that? And I'll make sure I put a a link to the talk in the show notes as well, because it's a really interesting concept, isn't it, Alina? I talk about failure as an opportunity to grow. So in principle, one of the key things which helped me move is, you know, getting to the very low, perhaps getting to the very bottom, failing, failing quite badly, but then kind of rethinking and restarting again. And I had it a few times, like one of the examples is how I was moving to UK, which was quite painful, I would say. But then also when I came to UK, I had like a few moments which perhaps made me first fail and then accelerate my journey. Yes. And as I said to our lovely listeners, I'll be be sure to leave uh, a link to this incredible TEDx talk from Alina. It's just wonderful. And as we all know, you know, you have a a set period of time within which to make an impact with a TED talk. It's a really, really good talk. So Alina, I'd I'd love to get a sense, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing about what a typical day looks like for you now. I know that you have your core day job. You do so many other things as well to sort of inspire and motivate, specifically women, I would say, uh, into tech careers. You're very well known for that. 
and you've won many awards to recognize your, your tremendous efforts. What does a typical day look like for you and how do you balance everything that you do, Alina? So I guess I focus on three key things. I mean, obviously, I have a daily job and my daily job is quite interesting because I'm an associate partner and I'm split between doing the project delivery, but also doing the business development. I personally quite like the business development side of it because it kind of shows me, I guess, the growth rather than focusing on pure delivery. So I guess other than that, I do two key big things. So number one, I do do a lot of mentoring and I do do it for women, not necessarily women in tech. It can be women in business. It could be women immigrants, or it could be just immigrants as well. But in principle, I think I connect very well with the people of similar, you know, background to myself, who is either a woman or an immigrant or from, you know, simple background and just making sure and helping them succeed in terms of their career, but also a little bit wider in terms of, you know, getting immersed as part of the culture or as part of their move. Uh, So that's the second thing. And the third thing, I do do quite a lot of talks and public speaking. I started doing it originally just to challenge myself on public speaking. And then I think many people have been quite interested in my experience, both of, you know, as a woman, as an immigrant, but also some of the digital topics I talk about, like cloud. So there was a lot of interest and I decided to do it like more extensively. Yes, I've certainly had the wonderful good fortune of being able to read some of the articles and interviews and and certainly listening to the many sort of podcasts and things that you've done. I've seen you winning these awards and it's just been wonderful to see. It's such a powerful role modeling for women, you know, to show what actually is possible. And Alina, I'd love to get a sense from you about the whole concept of, of privilege and allyship, which really is the meat of these podcast discussions. What does the word privilege mean to you? What's your understanding of the word privilege, Alina? I mean, for me, privilege was different at different points in time. I think in the start, I felt that I was underprivileged and I was underprivileged because I come from the simple background and I'm an immigrant and perhaps I can't make a difference in the community. So I'm just one of these little, I don't know, millions working for the corporation. But now I actually look at it differently because it's not the, you know, the color or the race or the country that defines you, but more the impact and change which you can make. So I feel myself quite privileged that you know, people want to, you know, connect with me or perhaps I inspire them or perhaps they want to hear, you know, more about the journey. And, you know, no matter what my actual background is, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm making the change. No, I love that. I really, really love that concept. And where do you think allyship then fits in? You know, first of all, what's your understanding of the word allyship and how have you seen that successfully sort of shown, if you like? in recent times? So I think for me, allyship is, again, there are two parts to it. There are things, you know, like trailblazers, for example, supporting, again, like the women or the immigrants or whoever you support. So that is like a big thing. And I look at it at two levels. So one is how you do it individually. And then secondly, how you do it as a, I guess, corporate or as as an employer. I found myself when I just came to UK specifically, I found myself very unfitting, 
into the, well, I guess job and culture and uh, just generally, <laughs> I felt a bit out of place. And I think allyship is something which would really help on both a personal, individual level and corporate level in terms of, you know, supporting whoever the people are to make them feel like that they belong. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's so, so true. And, and just a sort of matter of interest, really, Alina, do you visit Russia often? Do you still go back to see your family back there? Not so much, to be very honest. I, I mean, I immigrated seven years ago. I think I've been three or four times back. One of the reasons is I'm not like super, super like close with my family. And I think since I've gone, I've developed an accent. When I come to Russia, everybody was asking me like, why do you have an accent? Why are you not married before I got married? And like, it was... I just thought that the better use of my time is to try to explore the other countries, the other cultures, and that's what I've been doing. Yes, yes. No, that's fair enough. And and given that the theme of International Women's History Month, International Women's Day, is all around breaking the bias, and specifically working within tech, of course, where we have huge challenges, don't we, with not enough women being attracted to, to tech as a career choice in the first place, and then of course, that then filters through to senior levels. What sorts of things do you think can work to, to break that concept of bias within the tech sector as a whole? I'll probably tell you a bit about my story and then come to the conclusion. So when I was in Russia and I was doing like a very theoretical maths degree, we also didn't have many women, even though the maths topics are quite, you know, good in Russia and all, all, all these technical topics are like super well taught. So to give you an idea, I had 500 people in, in kind of my class doing maths and mechanics. And I would say that the ratio of guys to girls was 10 to 1. So that would be like roughly 40, 50 girls there. And interestingly, after doing the course, about 90% of those girls got married to those guys and kind of had kids and they never actually wanted to pursue a career that much, even though they had all the background in technology, engineering, maths, etc., and coding, which I found quite interesting. And I think only a few of them actually went and did more either of a PhD or a you know, some career path or some more extensive career path. Um, I think that diversity, like from the technology perspective, it doesn't only come in terms of, you know, enabling girls to go into a technical university and then getting them out of there and putting in some technology job. I think it's more selling or not even selling, talking about the benefits of what technology can bring to your life and showing it not just from the perspective of quite a boring vision of here as you come and you code and you code in a dark room and that's how it happens, but perhaps showing examples when technology just has a slightly different career path. And I think to be very honest, when I was coming to UK and I sat in my interview with HR in Accenture, they did ask me, what do you want to do? Do you want to do management consulting or technology consulting? And my response was management consulting because I purely saw that management consulting is something nice and sexy and interesting and technology consulting was of absolutely no interest to me. And then they said, no, you know maths. That's why we're going to put you into tech consulting because first of all, you know something about it. And secondly, we have no people in tech consulting. Are you going to take it? And I was like, yeah, because I need a work permit and I need a visa and I need to like, 
like come as soon as possible. But I'm only taking it because of the visa, not because of the fact that I'm attracted to tech consulting. And I think, you know, now maybe after seven years, I'm more into it and I do enjoy it after I found the different parts of it. But definitely it wasn't the selling point when I started in Accenture. So I guess just to conclude, uh, the key thing here is like, how can you explain technology in more simpler and more, you know, adventurous or curious way so that people don't see it as something completely boring, but actually want to be part of it? That's a wonderful way of putting it, Alina. It's that whole narrative that is shared with with those potential entrants into the whole field. And, you know, how can you make it more attractive? This is the possibility, you know, see the vision behind what tech can actually do. You know, that's certainly something that excited my son, Max, uh, who's, mm-hmm. who's all about tech and is obsessed with tech. Certainly for him, it's the, the possibility of what tech can do that attracted him, uh, as well as the fact that he's a, he's a natural mathematician, which I admit I'm not at all. Far from it. But thank you so much, Alina, for that. That really was a very, very clear and vivid way of putting it. So we hear so much said about diversity and inclusion, and there's so much misunderstanding, I find, uh, about what this means and how you can go about driving more diversity and inclusion, Alina. But in your own words, why is diversity and inclusion important to you? Why should we bother with any of this stuff at all? I would personally come from my own experience. So when I was in Russia, to be very honest, I didn't really think about diversity and inclusion because I was surrounded by people quite similar to me. And because I fitted in, I didn't actually worry about it. But when I came to UK, I clearly thought that I'm clearly not fitting in. And this made my life really miserable. And I think for the first one or two years, I was super miserable for different reasons. But the biggest one that I'm not fitting in, I don't understand what I need to do to fit in. I don't know what I need to change to fit in. And nobody is asking me (laughs) how I feel. And in fact, nobody, well, to my mind, was making any uh, kind of effort. <laughs> to make me feel, you know, welcome. And since then, the diversity and inclusion was much more important to me. And I think the key reason is because I myself felt it and I myself felt miserable and I myself experienced it on my practical level. So for me, diversity and inclusion is, you know, it doesn't matter what is, you know, the person, the background, the gender, the race, etc. It's just making sure that the person around you, you know, they feel okay, they feel that they fit in, they feel that they're valued, and they feel that, you know, their effort and impact is something what people want to hear, want to see. That is very big. I think there are different ways how people can be diversified, but I think the inclusion is really how do you make them feel that they belong. Yeah, so nothing beats, does it, Alina, having been on the receiving end of of not having seen that work terribly well. You know, I I so often hear from people that the the advocates often for driving this change, certainly that's the case for me, was because of what I had experienced. And I was just so angry about that. I thought I've got to do something to improve it for other people. But uh, your story is is just so motivating, Alina. It's amazing how you just kept on going. You know, it's, it's extraordinary the hurdles that you had to overcome. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation, Alina. Thank you very much. And before we say goodbye, always like to give our guests an opportunity for a final plug. Is there anything that 
you'd love to have said more about that you don't feel you've done justice before we say goodbye to our lovely listeners? I would probably say in terms of the advice, it's, you know, don't wait for an inspiration and just, you know, get up and take the action. From my experience, many of the things which I've done, like, you know, mentoring or maybe public speaking or even applying for an award, this wasn't that somebody came to me and offered me to do it. And I never knew whether I will be successful or I won't be successful. I just tried. And then in some cases, it worked out quicker. In some cases, I went through like 20 failures and then it worked out. But ultimately, it's being proactive and not, you know, waiting for somebody to offer you or necessarily, you know, inspire you, but just, you know, doing what you would like to do and pursuing it with, you know, being diligent in pursuing it. That is such wonderful advice about being proactive, taking ownership. We have a lot of fairly young listeners. We have a massive group of young people currently still at school in sixth form, a lot of university students, of course, because of my son's involvement, uh, and very you know junior people in their careers. So this is very good advice for them and indeed for the more senior professionals that don't just wait and sit back, you know, award nominations, just don't just wait for someone to put you forward, right? You know, if you think that you deserve an award, put yourself forward. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you deserve it. But I love that advice, you, Alina. Thank you so, so much for your time on this rather gloomy Saturday morning. Thanks a lot. And thank you, lovely listeners, for so faithfully following this podcast series. Max and I are so, so grateful to you. We could never have imagined a year ago when we started the podcast uh, with only eight guests. And that's all we're going to do. We're just going to see how it went in that really gruelling third lockdown that we had here in the UK. And look where we are now, season four, 75 episodes now published and even more by the time this episode comes out. Really grateful to you. And of course, as always, I look forward very much to my next truly inspiring and motivating discussion with yet another inspirational leader, just like Alina. Thank you very much, everyone, and goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.